Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Did you come to worship the Lord this morning? All right, you ready to adore our risen Savior? All right, let's all stand and sing this morning. One, two, three, four. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come let us
But we're glad they're here. Later or not. Yep. I, I turned it on. Is it not working? Green light's on. Okay. All right. I've got a birthmark on my wrist. When I was a little kid, I called it my starter button. Maybe it works, and I just didn't know I wasn't supposed to stop using it. Anyway, this card is somewhere near you. Look down at the seat in front of you. You're probably going to find one. It's a communication card. If you're here for the first time or two or, or whatever, we would like to know a little more about you. If you fill this card out, we will know. And we can see what you're interested in. And maybe the most important part, well, second most important, but next to your name and who you are, is the bottom you can write your prayer request on the bottom and we will make sure it comes before the throne room of God and he will hear it and he will listen. He always listens. I don't know if he listens to KSBJ, but he always listens to us. We don't have a bumper sticker for it, but we have a track record that says that God listens. That's right. So fill that out and we'll make sure it happens. And... If you sinned this week, oh yeah, you all did, everybody did. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, 1 John 1, 9 tells us, and it's so cool, 1 John, what's your favorite book of the Bible? John? What? Proverbs? What? Matthew. Matthew. Well, mine is First John. Genesis, First John. My favorite book in the Bible. You know why? I have a whole list of reasons. Number one, it's short. It's five chapters long. I can read the whole thing in 30 minutes. But the best part, it's written only to God's children. There's not anything in First John that's for you if you're lost. If you're one of God's children, everything in 1 John is for you. It starts out with our tremendous need of fellowship with, with each other and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Heavenly Father. If you're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, your joy is going to be a small percentage of what it ought to be in your life. 
God says, John said, I wrote this to you so that your joy may be full. And what, and he, he gave us a way right there in the, in the first chapter of 1 John so that we, even though we mess up all the time, every single day, we all do it, we can still walk in fellowship with God because he gave us a promise. He said if we would confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know my spirit has been made clean. I know that my spirit, when I trusted Jesus to save me, was recreated in righteousness and true holiness. But my flesh got no benefit at all. And I have to every day deal with my sin before the Lord to maintain that fellowship. It's not about going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. That's settled. But I don't get to walk in fellowship with God unless I walk in the light as Jesus does. Have you ever met anybody that walks in the light as Jesus does? That would be no. Not you, not me, not Mother Teresa. No one has ever walked in the light as Jesus does. God says that he that saith he has no sin is deceiving himself. But he gave us a way to handle it. He said, but if you will confess your sin, I will forgive your sin. He said he's faithful and just to do it. Just means that he's paid for it. And faithful means all the time, every time, no matter what. Say, Pastor, you just don't know how bad I messed up this week. Well, Jesus does, and he's still faithful to forgive us our sins. So why don't you join me right now and just make sure you've got that covered this morning. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have fallen short of your glory every day of our lives, Lord, since we became old enough to know the difference. And Lord, I just ask you, Father, to... uh, to set my gratitude, Lord, for you making a way that we could walk with you, even though even though we fall all the time. Lord, you loved us, and you made a way to walk with us. You're holy and righteous, and in you is no darkness at all, just like it says there in 1 John chapter 1. We've still got the flesh to deal with, Lord. And I have talked to you this morning about all of these issues, and I just pray, Father, that each and every one here that knows you, that that maybe hasn't done that yet today, would right now, Father, confess their sin to you and and be given that clean new heart, Lord, that you that you bestow upon us every time we do. Lord, I want to worship you today with with a heart that's right, clean, forgiven. And Lord, I can't do that without your promise and without your presence. So Father, we we confess our failures and our sin. And we, Lord, we know the benefit that comes from that. And we have you to thank for all of it. Lord, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, lift us up. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Let's all stand and continue to sing this morning.
Is he not worthy of our praise? Always.
second grade and under. We'll be going back to King's Kids with Miss Yaya and third through sixth with we have those will be with Brother Charles Dillon, Pastor Sunday School class. Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Are you ready for the Word of God? Oh, man, I am happy to hear that. Uh, Before I go on, I just want to let you know, if you want to use the hard copies, we have a digital copy available for you. If you would go to lbctx.org, that is our website, click the top where it says Media, you're going to see the recent sermon title. If you click that, it'll lead you to a PDF. So if please see me after the sermon or sometime, and I'll show you how you can access it digitally from now on. So, well, I'm happy to hear you're ready for the Word of God, because I have good news for you. You are going to get the Word of God. And today's message is actually regarding something you can succeed at. Man, are you excited? Something you can actually succeed at. You don't have to have any struggles about it. You can really do it. Something that the Lord tells us to do, and it's as simple as to just do it. You can even testify to years and years of success without any failure or falter. This topic, some fight it, others do it happily and watch the Lord work in their life tremendously. And if you haven't guessed what it is, today we're going to be talking about giving. So now if you saw the the blank slide, it was like that on purpose. Heart of Purpose Sunday is here, and it is my honor today to preach it for the very first time. And so, and if you thought Pastor Dill was the only one that was for preaching on giving, you thought wrong. So be ready. This subject is crucial, though, for every one of God's kids. And the reason is not because God is just in need of our money or the just church needs your money, but that we need to be givers. As God's children, as members of his church, we need to be givers. And furthermore, not just a giver, but what as we see described in the Bible as a cheerful giver. Our main text this morning is found from 2 Corinthians 9. This is going to be the whole chapter, verse 1 through 15. Beginning, for as touching the ministering to the saints, 
it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that say we not ye should be ashamed in the same in this in this same confidence boasting. Therefore, it is necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye have noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty, not as of covetousness. But this I say: He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. This is where our, our text is centered and focused on. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Isn't that a pretty cool part? For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of the misministry, they glorify God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto him, unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which longeth after for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our passage. We thank you so much for the truth um, on giving, Lord. It's clearly in the scripture, Lord, and it clearly has a big impact um, on our lives. And many here can testify just how much it does. So, Father, I just pray that you open the hearts of us all here and may us be attentive to what you want to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, to break down the chapter just a little bit, the context is regarding the Corinthian churches uh, from with giving. See, from the previous chapter, the Macedonian churches are mentioned that they were ones who were giving beyond really what they can even on the outside afford. Even among great affliction, they were givers. The Corinthians were actually the ones that inspired and were boasted upon as givers as they were exhorted to finish what they had started. The Corinthian church was the one that really got everyone sparked, and they stirred up that zeal. And something I just want to point out and think. The Corinthian church was full of issues after issues after issues internally, Yet this was something they could actually do and succeed at. What does that tell us for our lives today? See, in this same context, Paul writes to them this, the end of chapter 8. Wherefore, show ye to them before the churches the what? The proof of your love and of our boasting on their behalf. And what is the context? It's giving. I love the Lord. You love the Lord. Prove it. What does your giving show regarding that? And then moving into chapter 9, he continues on that same topic regarding giving. Their commitment to giving will serve as their proof of their love. First, we see about their readiness and willingness. So ministering to the saints. Verse 1 again, for us touching the ministering 
to the saints. It is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, in which I boast of them, them of Macedonia and Achaia, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. The ministering was regarding the giving the Corinthians committed to for the Christians in Jerusalem, the collection and going on. They'd already been familiar with what Paul was talking about, and that's why here we see the word superfluous. It would be not necessary or have a need to, but he's wanting to really emphasize something here. His desire was for them to finish what they had begun and started, and he was absolute confident in their willingness in giving them the opportunity to prove their love. And then he sends this brethren, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily if the Macedonian come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you and make up beforehand your bounty. That word bounty is the same word used for bountiful. Where have you had noticed before that the night be ready? might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. So the brethren here, this would be Titus and some other named men, they're sent by Paul to Corinth to collect, to collect the offerings that they've been gathering up, the giving that's been going to be distributed to the saints. He's doing this because, one, it holds them accountable. They were committed to doing it, and he's holding them accountable They were already a boasting matter, and they motivated other churches to be giving generously. And for them to not come through with it would not only make themselves look bad, it would make even Paul look bad because out of all the issues the Corinth was having, Paul could say, hey, these were generous givers. They love the Lord, and they're going to prove it. They will also be there for assurance that it was done out of generosity and not and not and, and in love and not out of covetousness. By the way, that is the only acceptable giving of worship, the act of giving in your worship that God's accepting, is if it's done out of love. You can be giving you can be giving your entire paycheck, and if it's not done in love, the Lord rejects it. The right motive in the reward of giving. Here's where resuming resuming on our first our main verses. One reaps what they sow, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and which he soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Well, he's simply using a farmer-related analogy, reaping what you sow. I mean, those who work on the farms, work planting gardens, you know exactly how this works. You reap what you sow. So little, if you sow little, the harvest will also be little. So bountifully and generously, what can you expect? You can expect a greater harvest. See, proportionate giving is what is key of this. See, think back to the widow in the temple. She was just giving. She only gave two mites. But Jesus said that she outgave everyone around her. God loves a cheerful giver. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, For God loveth a cheerful giver. You purpose in your heart what you are going to give. The motive must not be grudgingly nor of necessity. You must want to do it, not be compelled to do it. It must be out of love for the Lord. And a response to gratitude, a response to the grace of God is how our giving is measured. And if you can't get this part down, if you, when, the, when the plates pass, when the giving happens, if you're just like, 
man, what could I have done with all this money I just gave to the church? If you can't get that part down, do not expect God to work in your life. If your motivation is also even to give to receive, you've already missed it. Just as those name it and claim it movement, oh, just give this a gift and God's just going to return it to you, get the money back, and it's going to multiply. If you're giving with this intention that I'm going to get rich and I'm going to have God do this and this, don't expect God to work. See, we get excited when we give our kids, when we give gifts to our kids and even to others. Why would we not get excited when we get to give back according to what God blesses us with to begin with? Giving should excite you. God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, it's true that God loves everyone, and the proof of God's love is the fact that he gave us his only begotten son. But there is a special thing that God has for that cheerful giver. We see it in our next verses. See, that Greek word for cheerful, it comes from the Greek word hilaros. It is actually where we get our English word hilarious used only here one time in the Bible, in the New Testament. See, when it comes to being the cheerful giver, there is a true, even an outward appearance of an excitement and joy to the giver. Let God's grace be that motivation. Giving is a response to what God has already been providing and your gratefulness to Him. It's produced from thanksgiving. And giving is always done according to how we are prospered. In the same kind of letter, and from the first letter, he says this in 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order of the church of the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, which is what our day is, Sunday, let every one of you lay him by him in store, as God hath what? Prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So that's our end. Let every man decide in his heart what you're going to give. So what's God's part in it? Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Do you think giving affects other aspects of your walk? Oh, yes, it does. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth, Forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being rich in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. See, I love that part. It says, God is able. God is able because of who our God is. Expect God to work in your life when you cheerfully and generously give back to him. And see, and Paul assures, us, assures them they will have all sufficiency in all things. See, there was no need to even question if their needs will be met. He supplies the ability to give and more. It should be out of the question when I'm giving to the Lord and deciding and purposing, it was like, well, I really need this money to pay this and this and this. Can you trust God? God is able. Paul then quotes from Psalm 112.9. The start of the psalm in this chapter is this. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Giving is a response to them that fear the Lord. And the blessed, that word means happy. Giving produces true blessedness. 
It says he provides the seed. He provides the bread. So you can absolutely trust God to meet and honor your finances if you will honor him with yours. So what about the effects? Well, he listed right here in verse 12. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the one, that means the needs of the saints, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their prayer for you, which longeth after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And he says at the end, thanks be to God, be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Some of the effects. One, we read, it provides the needs of the saints. This is an exciting thing that should come to you. You get to be a part of the ministry. You get to be a part of what God's work is doing. And as I said earlier, God doesn't need your money to do work. We see another passage that implies that he'll raise up rocks if it meant to, to give God glory and give him praise. But I ask this, why would you ever let it come to that? I don't want rocks to be the ones that glorify God. I don't want rocks to be the ones that proclaim this. I want to be a part of the work. I want to be a part of what God has planned. I want that joy. It produces that thanksgiving unto God, both for the recipients and for the giver. We see that it says, unto many thanksgivings. It comes from a grateful heart, but guess what giving also does? It produces even more and more and more thanksgiving in you. We know what it's just like at Christmas time to give your gifts all to the, our kids. We get that excitement to see that joy. You can have that same joy giving to the Lord, I assure you. I want to give you some further teaching, so my, my professors will probably be disappointed in how I'm, how I'm approaching this sermon. So to backtrack now, before applying to 2 Corinthians 9, because I, what have I talked about so far? Have I talked about tithing or giving? I've talked about giving. See, before you can apply 2 Corinthians 9, this first needs to come. Giving starts with the tithe. Tithing in itself isn't giving. It is our foundation to which we can start giving upon. And what does tithe mean? Well, it means tenth. How to do it is actually simple. If you made $1,000 that week, you divide that by ten, and what do you get? You get a hundred. That means a tenth. The offering is now giving above and beyond that. That's your giving. If you made zero dollars in this week, what's your tithe? My negative tenth. <laughs> I guess so. You just get money in that return. So, see, the first instance of this tithing is going to be found with Abraham to a very unique figure we see in the Old Testament. His name is Melchizedek. Genesis fourteen eighteen through twenty. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, and hath delivered mine enemies to thy hand. And he gave him, Abraham, to Melchizedek, tithes of all. Now let me ask you, was this during the law, or was it before the law? Before the law. See, we see it practiced before the law, it is indeed instituted under the law, and then it's commended by Jesus even when he fulfills the law already. See, many today seem to have this idea that because, well, we see tithing under the law, and we've been redeemed from the law, 
Hence, we just say tithing is just not for today, is what they say. However, what they seem to fail to recognize is that in the Old Testament, doesn't equal under the law or exclusive to the law. This was a practice before the law, so therefore it's not bound by it. Hebrews 7, chapter, chapter 7 is probably my favorite text regarding this subject. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of part of all, first being interpretation king of righteousness, and that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And here's something interesting about Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Does it sound like Melchizedek is just some ordinary man? Not at all. Let's carry on. Now consider how great this man was, and to whom even the patriarchs gave Abraham, patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily that are of the sons of Levi who received the office of priesthood have commandments to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren that they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them receives tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promise. And without contradiction, the less is the blessed of the better. Here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth him of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. As I may so, Levi also who received tithe paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. In this passage in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is trying to paint this picture of how so much better Jesus Christ is above the law. He is after an order, not of the Levitical priesthood, but he's after the order of Melchizedek, who only has ever been called a king and a priest. No other has ever held that kind of title before. See, Christ is described in Hebrews as our great high priest, one whose order is from Melchizedek, whom we actually see is a Christophany. Melchizedek is actually Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And when did that priesthood die out? It hasn't. The priesthood lives on. Verse 15, and yet it is far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, whom is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek. And who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. See, just as Abraham gave tithes to an everlasting priesthood not under the law, we too today give our tithes. We tithe to an, our everlasting priest, Jesus. Tithing is still done for today. You can't really get any way around it. And I want to give you some things you need to know about tithing. Number one, tithing is about money. Tithing is about honor. Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance. That word substance means wealth. And with the first fruits of all thine increase. So what you do when you receive the money, do you go spend all your groceries, spend everything, and then come to church and just write up something? What you do with that money, if you want to make it about honor, which it needs to be, the first thing you do when you receive that money is you set that money aside, decide and purpose in your heart what you are going to give above that. You set it aside before you go off and start spending all that. You bring him your best. You bring him 
your first fruits. Second, it already belongs to the Lord. Proverbs Leviticus 27 says, And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. At what point would it have stopped being the Lord's? Never. If you want to go even beyond just the tithe belonging to the Lord's, I would suggest 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If you are one of God's stewards, what would that imply of just tithing and not just tithing, but all of everything that comes into you? It already belongs to God in the first place. We, if you start viewing money as this, I am a steward of what God has provided me, then it makes it all the more better to render back unto what's already his. You get to cheerfully and joyfully do that. The fact that you have it to give in the first place should bring rejoicement. Third, people don't really like this one. To not tithe is to rob God. It's simple as that. If you, want to, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But don't try to jump around the scripture and prove you're not robbing God. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have you robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. If you carry on with this passage, there's something really cool about this subject. Tithing is the only context in which God invites his people to test him and to prove him. Isn't that cool? It's the only one that God says to test me, to prove me. Verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me so herewith. saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there shall not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. The devourer is rebuked. To those faithful to do it and committed to do it, you know it and it's evident in the lives how your finances are taken care of. And last but not least, and this is not all the things to know about it, it is something that you can actually do without fail or continued repentance. We did 1 John 1, 9 earlier. Tithing is something you don't have to do 1 John 9 about. You can do it and you can do it with gladness. Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to done, and not leave the other undone. Now, some have concluded that, well, Jesus is saying it's just not really all that important. Jesus wasn't calling it an unimportant thing. The Pharisees and the scribes, they did right in their tithes, but they left that word, baris, is that word weightier matters, baris, the more burdensome matters of the law, undone. Both are to be done. And why do you think he's calling it the weightier matters? See, giving truly is one of the most blessed things that we can do and we can even relate with God on. He gave something far priceless. And I can't say that I've always been good at commands such as being quick and ready to forgive all the time, controlling my tongue, participating in gossip, and just the list goes on. It says in confession time. But this thing I have actually been able to keep the first time I ever did it, 
And immediately when I got a job, I was really excited I can continue doing it. It's continued for nearly 14 years now. See, if you look at my financial track record, you're not going to find a huge sum of money. I'm just going to tell you that. But what you will find is the Lord's sustainment and his faithfulness to provide. I have been more blessed than I can even ever imagine. See, I'm 29, soon to be 30. And Lord willing, I have a lot of more years of this to come. Tithing and giving has taught me the value of money. It has taught me and led to many understandings of money. It has taught me thankfulness. It is not only a reflection of thankfulness, it has also been producing thanksgivings in me. It has also taught me to trust God more and more. I've been in some tough times where, especially in college, where how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for this? I'm committed to what I already promised to do with the Lord. And I've watched God take over, and I watch him always take care of me. And he even continues to bless me more abundantly than what I deserve. So what's your heart of purpose? Some have argued that they can't afford to tithe and, that, and to give, and all those are, only those who are just well off are the ones who can do it. Well, as one of God's kids, the truth is you can't afford to not tithe. And how do you think the ones who are well off, you quote, got there in the first place? Are you tithing and giving because you're well off, or are you well off because you're faithful to do what God says and to give? See, God will honor those who honor him. If you're not doing this, I ask you, why should God honor your finances if you're not willing to honor him with yours? See, I'm not doing this out of spite. I'm not doing this out of, I think I'm better. I'm doing this because I'm telling you and urging you that you need to be a giver. God doesn't need your money. God's not some sin there beggar. What it's going to do to your life and your walk with God is all for, for a bit of better. It's not about the money. It's about honoring and proving your love for God. And that's what you, if you don't, if you miss that, then you've already lost it. You can give all you want. You can give, you can give 60%. If you're not doing this in love, you have missed it. I want to honor God because of how much he immeasurably, immeasurably blesses me. At the end of the service, you're going to receive a, a uh, list out there for heart of purpose. This is your chance to prove your love for God. What you're going to do with this year, you write on there, you're going to give your tenth and what you're going to give above beyond that. Don't drop it in the plate. Don't even tell me or anyone else here what you're going to do. You decide, you purpose in your own heart according to how God blesses you. Put it to your fridge and put that as your commitment. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, to be able to preach on something here and something that really does matter. And it's not, some many like to try to tiptoe around it and call it, well, it's not a big deal, Lord, but it really is a big deal. And just as the word laid out, Lord, that you make the word, you make the all good works abound more abundantly, abundantly, and the thanksgivings, Lord, and I can testify in my own life, you know, just how how rich I truly am, Lord. It's never been about the money, but how I can honor you and how I can worship you. So we thank you, Lord, that we get to have this and uh, even even be willing to give back what you currently give us. And so, Father, may we always keep the main focus of focus, Lord. It's about love. It's about honor. 
It's about bringing you worship. And so, Father, I ask you to continuously uh, work in our lives, Lord, and work in our hearts, Lord. For those who are doing it, Lord, I commend them and just just encourage them to keep on doing it and never fail to keep giving. And to those, Lord, who have not made that commitment step, Lord, I just pray you'd stir up their hearts and just show them, Lord, that you truly are the supplier of all our wants and needs. And we should never be able to, be, we should never hold back and always be trusting you more and more. We love you and thank you for our time we get to have together in our worship today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good job. I'm going to keep you singing. What's it about? Honor. Do you love the Lord? Then prove it. It's really that simple. Honor is... uh, What what can you give God? Love? Yeah, you can. But it's about honor. It's it's interesting that giving and tithing is such an issue with God's people. It's not an issue. God didn't teach you that for it to be an issue. It's not. God gave you everything you've got first before he ever asked you to give back anything. If Do you believe that every good and perfect gift comes from God? Amen. The Bible says so. You've been watching it your whole life. If it's, if it's a gift from God. Dave Ramsey. Y'all know about Dave Ramsey, right? He's a financial wizard guy that, you know, done well. Teaches people not to be in debt. When you ask how he's doing, what's he always tell you? Better than I deserve. What do you deserve? Have you ever got down on your knees and asked God to give you what you deserve? No? I haven't either. Matter of fact, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. There are several things you couldn't pay me enough to do. One of them is to quit tithing and giving. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. I have been... uh, tithing and giving faithfully for longer than some of you young flat-bellied people have been alive. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you that God keeps his word. Amen. I was smiling inside when Justin said he's 29, getting ready to turn 30, and he's looking forward to a lot more years of watching God do what he's doing in his life. Amen. And that's exciting. I'm older than dirt, and I don't get to I don't get to watch God do this for many more years. I don't. I mean, I'm just facing reality. How important is watching what God does to me? Do you think? I'm not about to miss one. Not even one opportunity. Not a single week. Never. Oh, I know that 
not everybody wants to hear about giving. And I figured you were probably tired of hearing it from me, so I thought it would be a great change for you to get to hear it from somebody else. I know, I know what Justin believes about tithing and giving because I've watched him do it. And he believes in it because it's the Word of God. It's real simple. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. I, it is exciting to watch what God can do. And just about every, I don't know how long, every little bit, two or three weeks, a month, two months, whatever, and there'll be another, there'll be another surprise from the Lord. You like surprises? Well, some of them you don't like, but those surprises that come from the Lord, that's, that's joy. I mean, that's just it's like having Christmas several times a year, only you don't have to buy the presents. God loves to give to His children. Amen. He loves to give to His children. Why does God keep His promises with this? Because He loves to do it. He does. If you don't know that, you don't know him. I'm sorry, but he loves to give. It says, how, does, how much more does your heavenly father love to give good things to his children? Well, I'll shut up. Except to say that if you're not saved, you don't have access to these promises at all. You're not only missing out on the kind of blessings we've been talking about, you're missing out on the confidence of being able to sleep at night going to, knowing that you're going to heaven. We'll stand. I'll shut up. Justin did a good job. I don't really need to add to it. There is an endless song Echoes in my